Well, hey, Evergreen, I'm so excited to be with you today, and I'm glad that you're where you are, and I'm where I am, even though it's not where either of us maybe thought we would be. I actually said yes to this date a couple of months ago, and I um, didn't imagine that it would look like this when this date actually came. And I am so comforted, though, by the idea that God knew. He knew that this would be how this day would look. He knew where you would be on April 5th, 2020. He knew where I would be, and he is not worried. He's not wringing his hands, wondering what's going to happen. How are we going to survive this? He is for us. And I think the closest way for us to get to peace, the easiest way, the straightest shot to get to peace is to align our thoughts with his thoughts. Align our tumultuous, chaotic thoughts with the thoughts of the peaceful God. And so today, as we look at this fight that we're facing, and it is, no doubt, it, it is a fight. But as we look at it, I want to look at how do we think his way? How do we win the battle of the mind when all hell breaks loose? What happens when everything goes away we didn't think it was going to go? When everything feels like it's falling apart? When nothing seems certain? And so we're going to go to a pretty familiar passage, but it's one that's been really important in my life and my development as someone who has struggled with fear her whole life. And this passage for me has unlocked so many keys to fighting a good fight in days just like this one. So here we go. 2 Corinthians 10, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ." So Paul introduces this big passage with military language. He's talking about a war and he tells us, you're made of flesh. I mean, we're just dust. That's all we are. We're made of flesh and bones. But the weapons that you have for the fight that you're facing are not made of flesh. They are made of something more supernatural. They are made of something that is coming from another realm. You have these weapons and the weapons are powerful for demolishing strongholds. That word in the Greek is actually to blow up something. It's for demolishing these strongholds. And when he tells us about these strongholds, this word stronghold in the Greek is actually nowhere else in the Bible. Paul plucks this right out of culture and uses it here to describe what's going on in this war. These weapons are for pulling down these strongholds. Now, we think maybe Paul borrowed this from this little issue that was going on at the turn, the, as the timeline turned from BC to AD, there was a, a serious problem in the Roman Empire with pirates. And pirates would roam the shores of the Mediterranean and they would kidnap wealthy Romans and hold them for ransom. And it was the epidemic of the day. It was a pirate pandemic. And so these pirates would have strongholds or little fortresses on the beach. And you wouldn't want to run into a pirate stronghold. And so Paul uses this word to describe the fight that we're facing. And he says, you have these weapons that can pull down and demolish these strongholds. And it's really intriguing because it makes me wonder what are the strongholds that we're facing? And he calls them arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ 
And then he tells us what to do. He says, what you need to do in order to get these weapons working in your life is take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Why to the obedience of Jesus Christ? Because everything in the mind of Christ is true. It's capital T true. And so Paul is saying the way the war will be won is by taking the thoughts that are out of control in your mind captive to truth, making sure all our thoughts are aligned with God's truth. This is going to be the key. And so when he says this, that the whole punchline here is to take our thoughts captive in this war, he's telling us where the war is actually being fought. The war is not with culture. The war is not with government. The war is not with Republicans or Democrats or uh, media. The war is not with a pandemic. The war is in our minds. That is where the big stuff is being fought. I can't take your thoughts captive. I can only take my thoughts captive. And so I am in a war for my peace and my wholeness, and my safety, and my certainty, and who God is. So Paul explains this to us, and then it's interesting because we know now what Paul didn't know then. We know that our brains are very powerful. We know that inside of our brains there are a hundred billion neurons that can create a hundred trillion connections, and these connections are powerful. They're important. They create shortcuts for us that enable us to do things we couldn't do otherwise. For instance, you probably, when you woke up this morning, you didn't have to get out a manual and figure out, how do I walk again? How do I, I can't remember how to walk. You, you, is it right foot, left foot, or right, right, left? Yeah, you knew. You just knew. I love to watch. Um, in fact, this is a good thing to do when you're done with church. You can just YouTube videos of babies learning to walk because it's awesome. And they're like, get up one step, fall. Get up two steps, fall. Get up three steps, and they're off and running. And what you're watching there is the formation of a neural pathway. You're watching that kid learn something that they're not going to unlearn unless they have a really serious brain injury. It's like if I told you, I'm going to keep speaking in English, but don't understand it. And I just don't even understand it. You, you can't. You can't unlearn it. It's a neural pathway. Your brain knows it. Your brain receives it. And your brain is doing that work for you. However, sometimes these shortcuts that our brain builds are negative. Sometimes it's an association that gets paired up like if you smell a smell that reminds you of a really difficult time in your life, you can suddenly be right back in that time. Our brains are tricky about doing a lot of work for us, but sometimes they can sabotage us as well. And so let's go back to our scripture for a minute. Paul says one of the strongholds that we're facing in our minds is arguments. He calls it arguments. And he uses the Greek word logismos. And that word means uh, layers and layers of time and experience and reasoning. It's the things that we've been through that create this lens, this way that we see the world. And your logismos is the reason why sometimes you'll, somebody who was raised by abusive parents will marry an abuser because that looks right to them. That's what they've seen. That's what they've known. And their brain has created a shortcut that says that's how life is. 
And the more we think something a certain way, the more we dig a groove in our brain, we dig this kind of ditch and from that ditch we live and from that ditch we fight. And the thing about Legismos is that it's pretty invisible to us. It's very powerful. It's calling a lot of shots in our life, but it's also very invisible. We don't realize that we've got a lens. We just think it's truth. And our brains will take us in all kinds of places. Uh, a study in 2005, the National Science Foundation found that people think between 12,000 and 70,000 thoughts per day. That's a lot of thoughts. And the number doesn't really matter that much. What matters more is this next number. They also found that of the thoughts that we think in any given day, a full 85% are negative. 85% of our thoughts, negative. And of the 85%, 95% of those are repeated from yesterday and the day before and two weeks ago Thursday. Our thoughts get repeated. They're called automated negative thoughts or ants. They're these automatic thoughts that we think and we repeat and we repeat and they take so much space in our brain. If you're an average 50,000 thought person, that's 43,000 of your thoughts being negative every day. And so I did an experiment with this a couple of weeks ago before all of this broke loose in our world. I was having a down day and I wanted to see if this was true. And so I just got throughout the day, I had a notepad beside me and I would just write down every time I thought something negative, every time I was frustrated, every time something made me feel discouraged. And I'm making this list and I'm filling this page with all these negative thoughts. And at the end of the day, I sat down and I did it again and I dug really deep and I thought of all the things that had frustrated me in that day and all the ways it had just felt like that, that's hard, that was just too hard. And, and, and then I did what I do because I'm such a nerd this way. I color coded them all to figure out what is the reason and the root of that thought. And after I had color coded them all, do you know what I discovered? There weren't 150 negative thoughts there. There weren't even 50 negative thoughts there. When it came down to what the roots of those thoughts were, there were four. Four main issues that were creating all the other negative thoughts around them. It was like living in an echo chamber of my own thoughts coming back at me over and over again. And so this is an interesting idea. This, the, the, you have these trains of thought. There's an engine to the thought. And then there are all the cars that follow behind it. And so bad news, you're not going to be able to take 40,000 thoughts captive. You're just not. Good news, you don't have to. You just have to take four or 14, but you just have to get the engine and then the train is disabled. But in order to do that, we have to understand what is it that I'm thinking and why is it like this? Because I think thoughts will always come. They fall in our life just like balloons. Like they fall from the sky and then we decide what we're gonna do with them. Like this morning I read six million people file for unemployment. 
And that made me start thinking about my kids and my job and what will happen and how will I live and what if we lose our house and what if other people can't survive and what if there's a depression and what about the stock market and we just keep the balloon in our vision all the time, keep it right in the periphery. And now I'm starting to learn if I want to take thoughts captive, one of the keys is to let a thought come because you can't control whether the thought comes or not, it's going to come. But let the thought come and let it drop. It's okay to let it drop. And so in looking at this, we see that there are ways that we can have some control over the very powerful thoughts that come into our mind, especially during a season like this. I feel like God does not want us to live underneath all of the situation. God wants us to be those who live on top of the situation, who are overcoming first in our minds and then in our actions and our words. So how do we do it? How do we come, become people who are able to take our thoughts captive and live in the peace that God has promised us? Two things, I think, and this has worked for me for years, and I think it'll work for you, but I'm open to the fact that maybe there are a lot of other things you might do with this. But here are two things that have been really important, kind of a spiritual pathway out of the neural pathway, out of the ditch that we dig, out of the fears that we let ourselves live in. The first thing is become an observer of your own thinking. Start to look at why am I feeling what I'm feeling? Why am I thinking what I'm thinking? What is going on inside my mind right now? I follow the work of a neuroscientist who compared being mindful and looking at our own, the condition of our own thoughts to going outside in a big city and looking up at the sky, but there's so much pollution that you can't see any stars. Doesn't mean the stars aren't there. You just can't see them because they're so covered over with other stuff. But if you go out into the country and you start to look around and the sky is clear and you see just galaxies and the Big Dipper and the Milky Way and the moon and all this beauty above you, the full cosmos above you, because the sky is clear. And that's what it's like when you start to look into the galaxy of your own thoughts, all the things that you're thinking and feeling and what's going on in the universe that is your mind. Science says that's good for you, but I'm going to go a step further and say that if you're willing to look into the expanse of your mind and invite Jesus in, and say, I want you to look at my thoughts. Look at the places where there are wounds. Look at the places where I'm assuming things are going to go bad because they have before. Look at the places where I've dug a groove and I can't get out of that groove and I don't even realize I'm stuck in it. And invite Jesus into that place. Invite him into your thinking. Invite him into the place where you're not sure if things are true or if you're believing a lie or if you're leaning hard on your own understanding invite him into that and become an observer of your own thinking. I um, went through a season of losing my car all the time in the parking lot. I just could never find my car when I came out of the store, like not even not find it, like couldn't remember even what direction I had parked or any little bit about where my car was. And I was starting to worry about my mind. I was like, something is going badly in my brain. And then I started this thing where I would park my car and I would just take a moment and I would be mindful of all the things surrounding my car. And then I would go into the store and I have never lost my car since. And it's not because I have a memory problem, it was because I had an awareness problem. When we start to become aware of what's going on in our mind, 
almost anything can happen. Then we can start to make change and we can see victory in areas where we've always been locked up before. So become an observer of your own thinking. It is so important to start to see, why am I feeling this way? As you're locked up with people you love and you get frustrated and things get tense, stop, take a minute, ask yourself, what is going on in my mind right now? What am I thinking about? And, and see what's going on there. Because after that, there are some thoughts you can just let drop. I can have a fear about the future and just let it drop. I don't have to, I don't have to bounce a balloon up. I don't have to concentrate on it or whatever. But if that keeps dropping, if one thought keeps coming in, if every time you walk into a room full of people, you feel like no one in this room likes me. If every time you hit uh, a bill comes in the mail, you think I'm gonna be poor for the rest of my life. Um, there are some thoughts when they're repetitive and negative, it's time to hold that thought up to the light of God's love and ask him, is this true? And so that's our second step. Hold the thought up to the light of truth. Ask him, what is your heart for me on this? What do you believe is true on this? It's so important to keep um, asking him and and inviting him into the process. 1 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. That word sound mind is actually the Greek word sophronismos, and it means safe, controlled, disciplined thinking. It's thinking with fences around it. It's thinking with borders that just because I have a thought doesn't mean it gets to run amok doesn't mean it gets to run the whole show. I can say I'm going to fence that thought in and believe the truth of God's love for me. Um, There was a time a couple of weeks ago, my husband and I live in, we have houses in Bend and Portland, and it happened to be one week where we were each in a different house. And I texted him one morning and I um, didn't hear back from him. And that's very unusual. And so I got a little nervous, and then about 15 or 20 minutes later, I felt the first thought land, your husband is dead. I just felt it. I, and I felt the wash of grief and fear and sorrow that I've known before. And I, a couple of years ago, I know what I would have done. I would have had the thought, and I would have thought, my husband is dead. How am I going to tell the kids? How am I going to pay for all the things? What's going to happen to me? How will I ever believe in loving anything again? And all of these things would have become the balloon always in my vision until I could find out if it was true or not. But this time, now, after all of this time, I sat down with the thought. And I held the thought in front of God And I said, I don't know if this is true or not. Because here's the thing. There are thoughts that assail us that are true. And in that moment, I didn't know. Is my husband probably not dead? But in my world, husbands die. In my world, it's regular to me. It's happened to me. And so I understand that feeling and so it was my brain running ahead and trying to keep me safe it was my brain running into territory that it knew very well to try to keep me 
uh, prepared for something, prepared for disaster all the time. And it put me in this flight or fight mode. But when I sat down with the thought and I said, God, I don't know what to do with this thought. I felt the prevailing truth come. Because sometimes when we believe things that are scary and they are true, we really are facing a pandemic. We really are in a difficult time. There really are jobs being lost. Those things are true, but I don't want to live underneath the weight of that. I want a prevailing truth that brings me peace. And so the thought that landed for me in that moment was really simple. And it was this, I am safe in the love of God no matter what. I am safe in the love of God no matter what. And that truth repeated over and over again. I said it, in fact, out loud over and over again. I am safe in the love of God no matter what. I am safe in the love of God no matter what. And I said it over and over until I felt peace begin to land and order restored in my mind. And then my husband texted back and that was good and he wasn't dead. But We'd have to just always be willing to say, is this thought true or am I letting something run amok? And if this thought is true and it is creating turmoil in my life, give me a prevailing truth, something I can take to the bank, something I can bank my life on, something I can count on. I want to know truth and live in truth and believe that the God of all grace and peace can come into every stormy season and show us in our hundred billion neurons and in all the pathways there that he can come and show us how to be free and how to demolish strongholds that keep us held back. Wouldn't it be amazing if we emerge from this time of fear and uncertainty more brave, more joy-filled, more peaceful, and more confident than we have ever been before, wouldn't that be just something? And wouldn't that be just like God? To use this time to remodel the way we think, to renew re, uh, uh, us, to change our minds and, and, and cause us to know how to set our thoughts in alignment with His. And so I want to pray this benediction over you as we close. I want you to take this into your week. And as we go into Holy Week and we start to look again at the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the best time to say, come into my thinking and let my thinking be aligned with you and your resurrection and your goodness and your truth. So here's the benediction. It's out of Galatians 1. I pray over you a release of the blessings of God's undeserved kindness and total well-being that flows from our Father God and from the Lord Jesus. He's the anointed Messiah who offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins. He has taken us out of this evil world system and set us free through our salvation, just as God desired. All the glory will go to God alone throughout time and eternity. Amen.